Dysrhythmias. All dysrhythmias lower cardiac output to some degree. So that's the first thing. Some lower cardiac output so much that you are considered dead. When would that occur? When you have no pulse. One of the important things you have to remember is that an electrocardiogram is a measurement of electrical activity. How many of you have ever seen a crew, seen crew, like, you know, the rowboats? Okay, what do you have someone in the back doing? Stroke, stroke, stroke. Now, what happens if someone shot all of the rowers, but you still have the collar going, stroke, stroke, stroke? Is the, per is the boat going to go anywhere? No. Okay. You can have normal ECG, and the heart ain't doing nothing. That's called pulseless electrical activity. And one of the reasons it's important is you cannot just look at a monitor and know if your patient is okay. They can have a funky rhythm that looks like they're dying and, and be just fine. They can have a completely normal monitor and be dead. You have to check the patient. A monitor is not a, is not a substitute for assessing the patient. That's the first rule of ECGs. And I think it was the second rule of health assessment in general. Do you remember that? All right. Um, so the first thing is they can lower cardiac output. The second thing is assess the patient, because they might be dead. Um, or they might be fine. All right, there are two different, well, there are three different kinds. Well, two. There are two different kinds of dysrhythmias. There's kinds where the rhythm is wrong, and that's usually because the, the beat is occurring in a place it shouldn't occur. Now, what starts the beat, usually? The SA node. And then it travels through the AV node. And then bundle of Hiss. And then the Purkinje fibers. And then the myocardium. Sometimes the ventricles take over. Say, screw you, buddy. Heart. Oh, and now, and it affects the whole heart. Sometimes the atria take over. Sometimes somewhere in the middle, we call junctional, takes over. So you can have atrial rhythms, ventricular rhythms, and junctional rhythms. Now, those rhythms can be fast, slow, or individual beats. But in the bottom line, the rhythm is wrong because the rhythm is occurring somewhere where it shouldn't occur. Got it? Then we have what we call blocks. And the only blocks we're going to learn about are what are called AV blocks. What do you think the A stands for? Atrial. And what does the V stand for? Ventricular. So the, the, um, the, the rhythm is originating in the SA node correctly, but it's not being transmitted through to the AV node correctly. And that's called an AV block. We're not going to go into how to treat AV blocks. It's going to down and dirty give you the basics of them. So do you remember our little ECG wave? We have what's called a P, a Q, an R, an S, and a T. The distance from the beginning of the, of the P wave to the Q is, well, to the R, is called the PR interval. 
So from the P to the R is called PR interval. A first degree block is just a longer PR interval. Repeat after me. A first degree block is just a longer PR interval. Generally speaking, to get a longer PR interval, you have to slow down the heart. So a lot of times they're going to have bradycardia as well. Um, if we take um, like elite athletes, elite athletes almost all have first degree block, which brings us to an important point. AV block in and of itself is not dangerous. So do you worry about AV block? No. You monitor it. Maybe it gets worse, maybe it doesn't. Who knows? You just notice it. Okay, great, wonderful. Do you treat it? No. All right, the next one is called second degree block. And uh, there's, these are named after doctors. Um, so there's what's called Mobitz 1 and Mobitz 2. So this is first, you know, first degree block was long PR interval. Second degree block is either Mobitz 1 or Mobitz 2. And Mobitz 2 has another, or sorry, Mobitz 1 has another nickname named after Dr. Winkybach. And you have to know that because there's a rhyme. Winkybach, W-E-N-C-K-E-B-A-C-K. Winkybach. There might not be a C, but no one cares. All right, do you remember the PR intervals from the first degree block? Okay. What's going to happen in Mobitz 1, or Winkybach, is the PR interval gets longer, and then on the next beat it gets longer, and then on the next beat it gets longer, and longer until you drop a beat. So what you're going to remember in your rhyme is PR, longer, 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 drop, what you've got is Winkybach. Now, you're all going to say it. So, longer, 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 drop, what you've got is Winkybach. Your turn. Now, some of you, just like in health assessment, when I made you do the tricuspid, you know, aortic, pulmonic, tricuspid, bicuspid, or look at me like I'm crazy. And some of you missed those questions on the test. So let's all say it like we believe, because it will help you get those questions right on the test. Longer, longer, longer drop, what you've got is Winky Bach. Say it. Not quite selling it, but we'll take it. All right, now, in Mobitz 2, what you get is just out of the blue, you drop a you drop a QRS. I've given you half the rhyme already. So the first part was longer, longer, longer drop. What you've got is Winky Buck. The second part is if out of the blue you drop a Q, what you've got is Mobitz 2. So do you have a longer PR interval? Longer, longer, longer? Or is it just out of all of a sudden there's no QRS? Come on, you can give me the right answer. In Mobitz 2, the second one, what, do you, what happens? What does it look like? Yeah, it's just all of a sudden, it's just a missing cue. 
It's just missing. It's gone. The PR intervals are the You're just missing a QRS. So say it with me. If out of the blue you drop a Q, what you got is Mobitz 2. All right. Think you can do the whole thing on your own? Think you have those mad skills? Yes. All right, go for it. Longer, longer, longer dot. What you got is can I draw a Mobitz too? I'm um, sure. So we've got. Actually, I guess if you're dropping a Q, you shouldn't even have a T. That's the P for the next one. Yeah, there's no QRST. It's because yeah, the T is the T is recovering from the QRS. So if you have no QRS, you should have no T. It's just, it's a blank spot. Now, which one of those do you think is worse? Mobitz 2 is worse. All right, and then the last one is what's called third degree AV block. And third degree AV block, you need to put a star next to it and highlight it because it's life-threatening. And basically what you have here is the atria are doing their thing and the ventricles are doing their thing and they are not coming together. So you're gonna have complete dissociation between P's and QRS's. So what you want to write down on your page is the P's march through. It's going to look like it's an irregular heartbeat, but if you measure the P's, the P's are the same. Because the SA node is telling the atria to go. And the ventricles can't hear that because it's being blocked, completely blocked through the AV node. So the ventricles are doing their own thing. And if you measure the QRSs, the QRSs are also marching through. But when you superimpose the two, it looks funky. It doesn't look like it's a normal heartbeat. So P's are doing its thing, QRSs are doing their thing, but when you put them together, it's not coordinated. And that's third degree heart block, and it is life-threatening. And we are not going to go into treatment for it. So you don't need to know anything about that. Yay! Yes, if a patient has it, it's life-threatening. End of story. Because it could, it could lead to um, asystole or VFib. No. Um, there are certain um, ECG waves that you'll need to memorize, and they're on the website. So, and, I'll, and I'll go over what those are. Okay, so we did the blocks. Now i got to do rhythms. The rhythms that are wrong. Now, I said it's because they... Uh, they show up in the wrong place, but the first two actually start in the right place. They're called sinus rhythms. Sinus tachycardia, sinus bradycardia. What do you think sinus bradycardia is? Slow heart rate. Heart rate less than? Than 60 beats per minute. For an adult, anyway. Do you treat it? Only if it's symptomatic. And what symptoms are we talking about here? Fatigue, lightheadedness, fainting, weakness. Um, tachycardia, sinus tachycardia, what's that? Heart rate above 100. Um, do we treat it? Depends on what causes it. What's the most common cause for sinus tachycardia? Physical exertion. Remember we said, how do you judge when you've done enough exercise or your heart rate's at the right level? Well, what level is that usually? 170, you're crazy. Usually it's gonna be like 130 to 150 depending on whether you're in the fat burning zone or whether you're, you know, whatever zone you're supposed to be in. Um, 170 is a bit high. Um, now, some people 
have very high heart rates when they exercise. Like mine goes up to 180 when I'm, I don't feel like I'm that exerted, but it's like way up there. But my uncle has the same problem and he ended up with AFib, so I try not to exercise. Um, anyway, <laughs> back to our story. Um, so with sinus tachycardia, the key is what's causing it. If it's transitory because of stress or because of exercise or exertion, not a big deal. You know, it's okay, it'll solve itself. But you can't just say, sinus tach, okay, that's normal, because there's other things that can cause it. So at a minimum, check their blood pressure. Because if both are, if, if you have tachycardia with low blood pressure, what's that the classic sign of? Yeah, high, yes, high, high heart rate, low blood pressure. What's the classic sign of? Not shock necessarily. Think before shock. Hypovolemia, just low blood pressure. Yeah, or low fluid volume, dehydration. So you can't just go, eh, it's high, it's no big deal, it's just sinus tachycardia. You gotta do some more investigation. Um, other things that can cause it, what if they're both high? That could be something like heart failure. So don't just look at sinus tach, they're good. You gotta look a little deeper. As far as treatments, beta blocker, right. Um, now we'll talk about ones that have originate somewhere else. So the first place they originate, anatomically speaking, is the top of the heart. What's that called? Uh, what's located there? Oh, okay, yeah, but we already talked about the sinus rhythms. Just the anatomy of the heart. What's on the top? Thank you, the atria. <laughs> Sounds like. <laughs> All right, so atria. We have atrial rhythms, and there's four of them. Um, so the first one is not really a rhythm at all. It's just a single beat out of place. And that's called a PAC, which stands for premature atrial complex. So in your ECG, all it does is it looks like a normal, a normal wave, but it happens earlier because the atria just fired earlier. Any of you football fans here? Anyone? No one watches football at all? All right, what's it called when someone on the defensive team starts moving and crosses the line of scrimmage before the ball snaps? You know, that person jumped the gun and went too fast, right? Same thing when, with the PAC. You know, you've got P wave, you know, the sinus said go now, the sinus says go now, and then all of a sudden it goes earlier than it should because the atria went and they jumped the gun. So what's gonna happen is because it happens sooner, just once, after the beat, what are you gonna get? You're gonna get a pause because the SA node is not gonna fire until the next time it meant to. So if you look, this P wave, this P wave, this one's early, but then this one goes back to the original rhythm. And what's that called? A PAC. And it's gonna went like, patient's heart went boom, boom. You know, the patient might feel it and tell you, heart feels like it's either skipping a beat or they feel like it's going too fast, like just like it goes And what's the word for that in terms of symptoms? Palpitation. It can happen once in like an hour. It can happen every couple beats. Just, you know, it's, it's uh, what's the word? Irregular, it just happens when it feels like it. That's called a PAC. The next one is um, called atrial tachycardia and there's got a nickname which is SVT, which means supraventricular tachycardia. Now, supra means above, and what's above the ventricles? The atria, so atrial tachycardia and supraventricular tachycardia are synonyms, they mean exactly the same thing. Why do they call it that way? 
to confuse young nursing students. Um, I generally try and say atrial tachycardia, but if you hear it from somewhere else or if you read it somewhere else, just know that it means the same thing. Now, in atrial tachycardia, you can have super high heart rates, like 170, 180, well, generally greater than 150, but it can be even higher. The problem with atrial tachycardia is it can happen so fast that the heart have enough time to fill up with blood, which can cause the patient to lose cardiac output. What's the treatment for that? We've already, we've already talked about it. Okay, you could use beta blockers, you could use calcium channel blockers, but there's another treatment of choice for it. It's a drug that you push in really hard and fast IV, and it makes them have incredible chest pain for like a few seconds, and then hopefully it all goes away. Adenosine. Next, we have um, atrial flutter. All right, in atrial flutter, instead of the atria just beating when they're told to, they beat continuously. So what do you think that looks like? Instead of having this nice little space in between the, the different waves, you've got what they call a sawtooth pattern. So you have, in between the QRSs, you have a bunch of little P waves. They call that a sawtooth. Atrial flutter reduces atrial kick, which in turn reduces cardiac output, and the heart rate is usually high, and you generally treat it with calcium channel blockers, possibly beta blockers. You could use, you could use digoxin, but mostly for the, re the reduction in um, heart rate. All right, the next one is atrial fibrillation, AFib for short. All right, with AFib, AFib, you need to put a little star next to it because it's life-threatening. Not in and of itself, but because you, when you lose atrial contraction altogether, blood pools in the atria. What does pooled blood have a tendency to do? Clot. And then if that clot breaks free, where does it go? Well, if it's in the right atrium, it will go to your lungs and cause a pulmonary embolism. If it's in the left side, it could go to your brain and cause a stroke. So life-threatening because of the clots. So because of the clots, what kind of medications do you think this patient's gonna be on? Anticoagulants. To begin with, Lovenox or heparin. And then long-term, warfarin. So what was the patient gonna have being checked long-term? INR. Um, heart rate tends to be really high, so the patient will need something to slow their heart rate down, and that something is usually calcium channel blockers, beta blockers, or digoxin, one of those three. Now the treatment of choice though is to shock the heart. You cardiovert them and with the shock hopefully it shocks the heart back into a normal rhythm. What's the problem with doing that? Clots could break free. So you gotta make sure there's no clots in there first. So what do you do? How do you do that? The scope down the throat, what's that called? TEE, transesophageal echocardiogram. So before you shock them, Check to make sure there's no clots, transesophageal echocardiogram, because it sees the atria from the back. Not necessarily. You don't do the TEE while they're awake, you put them out for the TEE. So I guess you shock them while they're still out too. Now, if it works, what, what drug are they probably gonna be sent home on to keep them from going back into AFib? Starts with an A, amiodarone. And you need to star that. It's the most common antidysrhythmic these days. Now, I also want you to underscore that with AFib, their loose atrial, atrial kick is responsible for between 25 to 30% of end diastolic volume, which in turn means they could lose up to 30% of their stroke volume. What do you think that could do to a person's uh, get up and go? 
make it got up and went. So AFib is a common cause of fatigue. Anytime someone comes in saying they're tired, you know, you should check their sleep level, obviously. How, how do you sleep? But they should get thyroid panel, anemia panel, and an ECG. At minimum, if you've ruled out things like, you know, I just haven't slept enough. There's one thing I forgot to tell you about AFib in terms of how it looks. Um, are there P waves in atrial fibrillation? No, because the, because the atria are not contracting. So there's little squiggles, then you get a QRS in your T, and then more squiggles, and then another QRS and another P. And the thing is, there's completely irregular. Now, when we say completely irregular, there's two ways your heartbeat your heart rhythm can be irregular. So, first of all, what is regular? So regular is exactly the same interval between each beat, right? Now, you can be irregular, but regular. So, too, too long one, or too short one long, too short one long, too short one long. The same rhythm is repeating over and over. So that would be irregular, regularly irregular. But with AFib, it is completely irregular. There is no rhythm to its non-rhythm. Got it? There's no rhythm at all. It is completely irregular. The, the term that they like to use is irregularly irregular. Yeah, I know. I like completely irregular better. All right, ventricular ones. The ventriculars, you also have a single beat. And instead of being called a premature atrial complex, it is called a premature ventricular complex, a PVC. Same thing as before. It happens earlier than expected, and it looks funky. In this case, what you're going to get is you're going to have an abnormal QRS, and you're going to have no P. So it typically looks like that. So you have a deep, wide Q and a wide R, no P. If you see just one of those funky things by itself, it is definitely a PVC. Now, you can have two in a row. What do we call that? A couplet. You can have three in a row. What do we call that? A triplet. You can have four in a row. What do you call that? A run of VTAC. So four or more is considered ventricular tachycardia, which will be the next one we talk about. You can also have other rhythms where you have one normal, one PVC, one normal, one PVC, one normal, one PVC, and that's called bigeminy. You can have two normal, one PVC, two normal, one PVC, two normal, one PVC, and that's called, you'll never guess, trigeminy. Yes. You need to know what these terms mean. You might not have them all on your test, but you might have one or more. Yes, they are on the podcast. Two normal, one abnormal. Um, in and of themselves, we don't treat them. When patients move from from single PVCs to couplets to triplets, you begin to get a little worried because it can go into VTAC. 
Um, when they have bigeminy or trigeminy, that's also a little more worrying. You've got to watch them a little closer because that can go into various different, more serious rhythms. But a PVC in and of itself is not dangerous. Um, some people will get them when they're stressed out or when they drink too much caffeine. So, and they happen in young people as well as, as um, older people. By themselves, they're nothing to worry about. We used to treat them, and we killed people by doing so by accident. Oops, sorry, but we meant well. All right, so the next one is VTAC, ventricular tachycardia. What it's gonna look like is a whole bunch of PVCs strung together, just up and down. The most important thing about VTAC is, is the patient dead or not? How are you gonna know? Take her pulse. If they have a pulse and they can talk to you, for the love of God, please have them lie down. Because if they go pulseless, guess what's gonna happen? They're gonna fall down. So you wanna put them where you want them before they fall, right? Okay, now some pay, I mean, generally speaking, you can't sustain VTAC for very long. Either it spontaneously resolves or it goes into something worse. Um, your heart just can't maintain that level of, of whatever it's doing that long. Um, so the most important thing is do they have a pulse or do they not? If they have no pulse, what do you do? Call a code. You treat them as though they're dead. Uh, there's ACLS protocols, we don't care about that. We're not at that level. We're just, are they alive or are they dead? If there's no pulse, they're dead, we call a code. If they're alive, lay them down. Um, and if it spontaneously resolves, generally speaking, their doctor is gonna want an ECG, and then we'll give them um, a drug that will prevent their heart rate from going up, which is usually gonna be cardizem or a beta blocker. IV metoprolol or cardizem is what I've seen most often. Cardizem is diltiazem. Um, you can also use lidocaine to help prevent them from going into VTAC. All right, V-fib. In V-fib, the key is that there are no heartbeats. The other key is that the, move, the electrical activity you see goes up and down. There's no isoelectric line. It's not averaged over a line. It's kind of all over, up and down. V-fib is commonly known as dead. Now, for those of you who have seen The Princess Bride, is the patient mostly dead or all dead? Okay, what makes you mostly dead? Because mostly dead is slightly alive. And you can work your miracle pill and bring them back to life. And what is the miracle pill? Okay, well, shock first, defibrillate, all right? And if that doesn't work, you can give them epi, 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 atropine, epi, 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 bicarb, epi, 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 and who knows what the heck is after that. Then you just wait Yeah. And you could possibly bring them back because V-fib is only mostly dead. Now, with all dead, there's usually only one thing you can do. Go through their clothes and look for loose change. So, you know, V-fib, you know, there is a chance you can bring them back. They are not completely dead yet. Well, I mean, you're gonna do whatever you have available. So like, out in the community, if there's an AED available, that is the number one best thing. If you don't have an AED available, you're gonna do CPR until the paramedics arrive. And then they will most likely, if they're still in V-fib, shock. Now, you wouldn't know the patient's in V-fib just out in the community, because you, um, yeah.
you don't have a monitor. <laughs> I have x-ray vision. Um, um, and with that, I think we are done with all of the cardiovascular. So on Monday, if you want me to. All right, go ahead. Ask me. What's torsade to point? He, uh, he asked what's torsade to point. So in a normal heart rhythm, the distance from here to here is called the QT interval. Some drugs make the QT interval longer. Drugs that do that put a patient at risk for a dysrhythmia called torsade de point. Um, there's an example of it in your, um, in your PowerPoint. And on the, on the podcast, I say, you're going to have a question about this on the test. So you might want to be familiar with it. And basically, it gets really small, and then like really big, and then really small again, and really big. And that's torsade de point. Um, t tor, e, SADES, S-A-D-E-S, and then a space, D-E, and then point, E-S. It's French, yes. That was the elevated, that was the elongated QT interval, which puts you at risk for that. So a drug that increases QT interval puts you at risk for torsade de point. And torsade de point can turn into VTAC and VFib, and that's why it's dangerous. So there have been several drugs that have been taken off the market because of that problem. Like for example, um, one, of the, one of the better fluoroquinolones called gatafloxacin or Tequin was taken off the market because it had a tendency to increase QT interval and cause torsade de point in too many people for the FDA to feel comfortable. No, the torsade de point is that funky looking thing that's caused by QT, elevated QT. Prolonged, yes. So, and then torsade points can lead to what? All right, so from the beginning, yeah. <laughs> you, you take a drug. The drug elongates your QT interval. That puts you at risk for torsade de point. Torsade de point can turn into VTAC or VFib. And so, going back to the beginning, the drugs that elevate or elongate QT interval are potentially life threatening. So de based on how, what degree they do it, you either limit their dose or you take them off the market or you put black box warnings on the label or whatever. Do know which drug those are? No. You just need to know that so that if you ever read in a journal this drug or you know, a textbook or whatever, this drug elongates QT interval, you know what it means. Yes. Yes. And for the, for the rhythms you need to know for your test, they're the exact pictures that are in the handout on the website. Yes, right. I'm not expecting you to go to be able to recognize this in a different rhythm strip. That's not the point of this class. The point of this class is to know what it is, what it does, how it's treated. And then for the one that is very common, recognize that exact one. No, it's, I mean, it looks a lot like it sometimes. Don't ask me what the real difference is between them. So yeah, yes, because it can turn into those other ones. Yeah, I mean, in and of itself, it doesn't kill you, but it can turn into the ones that kill you.